Hello, and welcome to the special edition of UNS Talks, the UN Studio podcast. This is the first of two special edition episodes in which we will be talking about the future of mobility, taking examples from three infrastructural projects that we are currently working on across two forms of alternative public transport. This first episode looks specifically at the Hyperloop and what it could mean for the future of Europe, examining our recently released design for the Heart Hyperloop Hub. We've gotten some questions sent into us about the future of mobility from Instagram, so we will be discussing uh, our replies to those questions. But before we dive in, let's do a quick round of introductions to the people sitting around me at the table. I'm Steve, the Digital Media Officer here at UN Studio, and I will be moderating this podcast. I'm joined by Alice Haw, our in-house futurist, Milu Van Min, who is a junior architectural designer, and Ben Von Berkel, who is our founder here at UN Studio and of our sister company, UN Sense. So to kick off, what is the Hyperloop? So the Hyperloop is um, a high-capacity transport system which uh, has been developed in the past decade or so, um, of course initially by Elon Musk uh, in the US, but he then open-sourced the technology um, and Heart Hyperloop are the first um, to develop it within Europe. So I think this is really exciting in a conversation about the future of mobility because in a way, the, the paradox is that even though communication technologies have come so far and we can hold video conferences and we can talk to everyone um, totally physically separate, we always want to come together. And I think that's a very human um, characteristic. And so talking about kind of physical mobility projects and how they're going to respond to our future needs is, is key. And Hyperloop is... Um, extremely exciting for its possibilities in Europe I think uh, connecting together cities in different countries and really addressing urbanisation which we see now becoming the sort of key aspect of um, future populations I think already 75% of Europe is urban and the Netherlands is the densest population in in the EU Um, and that's just set to continue so I think by the middle of the century almost all of us will live in cities in Europe and so connecting those cities together and doing that in a sustainable way is going to be crucial so it's really exciting for us to work on this Mm. and is this project it's so ambitious is it actually going to happen yes of course I mean because if if the technology is there and uh, it is proven that it can work. Of course, I mean, it needs to be on, on the large scale, be more tested. Then, then, then of course, it's, I mean, it's going to be built. It is uh, the same as what, what happened with uh, train and air traveling. Remember the first airplanes? Hyperloop is looking up much further. And, and uh, uh, everything needs to go in, in public transport uh, in every new form. Through a set of testing phases, and, and uh, you know you, you know that this system is already uh, having the, the capacity of uh, going more forwards. Mm-hmm. But but the most exciting is that it is totally new, that it is fast, that it is extremely sustainable, and that it celebrates speed. You know, like like uh, the history of transport always did, uh, especially when we move from the horse to its via uh, yeah, the car, for instance. Mm-hmm. This is a step up towards the way how we can travel very fastly from one place to the other and, and in, in a very exciting way. Mm. And it will generate so much more uh, 
yeah, understanding and, and, and use of the way how we can not exaggerate but can increase uh, speed also in the way how we would uh, connect knowledge for instance or connect uh, you know uh, new forms of um, uh, yeah, distribution qualities within the organization of uh, Europe you know mm -hmm. so how how it will not only um, support people moving from one place to the other is one but but what it can do to our society I think is going to be another thing because we've just set up an office in Frankfurt right yeah, is it worth setting an office in Frankfurt if a hyperloop is going to connect the two? And if oh you're yes, there? yes. I mean, because then then it will be as if you almost step on your bike and then you you know you're bicycling for a small hour from one place to the other. Mm. Yeah, I think or less, much less. I think that exactly that sort of day to day rhythm, how it becomes a very normal transport route it shouldn't be something kind of exclusive or no. something you only take once a year it's really we see it as a daily um, connection so it kind of expands the urban system of each person out way beyond anything we've known before so today you know we can only really live and work in one city but potentially with Hyperloop we could live in Frankfurt and work in Amsterdam and that would be really yeah really easy and that sort of opens up a lot more opportunities both for us as workers and also for companies to kind of expand their reach and connect more with one another. And I think that kind of opportunity is one we, we definitely want to work towards. Mm. And is this a product that um, is focused specifically in the Netherlands or is this, uh, do we have one track already in mind that will be developed? Yeah, the initial track is going to be running from Amsterdam Schiphol to uh, Frankfurt and there will be a super fast track route which will be around 35 minutes and then there will also be a slower, more regional route um, which takes, I think, 50 minutes and that's going to be going through Utrecht, Eindhoven, um, Den Bosch, Dusseldorf, Köln, Bonn and the idea here is to spread out the kind of benefits that you get from being in a major capital city uh, to the regions. And I think that's an important aspect of the proposal also, is um, that if urbanisation is coming and these big cities become such economic powerhouses, um, the possibility to kind of spread that benefit, both economic and cultural, out to smaller towns or, or regions across Europe becomes very important. I suppose even housing prices will be affected by this. I mean, if you could live in, like, Den Bosch and then commute into Amsterdam, it would be, I suppose, yeah. a lot cheaper, right? No, but that's what I mean. Also, that you, 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 I mean, the quality of life will be increased by having friends, uh, family in, an, in Frankfurt or whatever, and, and you might live in, uh, and work in another place. Uh, you can combine aspects of your lifestyle much faster and and the world becomes a little bit more one um, and that is of course already a bit the case in 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 the way how we travel in europe uh, and and you see that with many many expats who uh, already move every week up and down between one city and the other but they always move uh, on Friday nights home mm. and come in, uh, in, in, in these uh, cities on the Monday mornings mm. um, or Sunday night. And, and, and that rhythm will definitely then change. Mm. I have, I have, I have a, a funny, well, funny, I think interesting comparison that I read that in the 1950s and 60s, 
uh, uh, that daily we traveled uh, 40 minutes per day. And at the, at the moment, we're also still traveling 40 minutes per day, but uh, five times longer distances. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's say 40 minutes is 50 kilometers by train if, um, at the moment, but Paris, Amsterdam is 500 kilometers, which will take 40 minutes by hype. Uh, yeah, with the Hyperloop, so it actually means that um, within 10 years we can travel 10 times more distances than today. Yeah. If, if people want to have that, that excitement of uh, being faster in another location, or I mean, maybe, maybe you know, don't forget, I think uh, already a quarter of people who have uh, in Holland um, interest in uh, buying places, uh, especially the elderly people, in buying places in other regions in Europe, like like France or Spain or whatever. So if you could then, instead of going for weeks to your place in, in, in Spain or in France, uh, and then you have to you know travel again by car for eight hours or something, people really do that. Mm-hmm. They, they travel by, for, for, you know, up and down always to these places in, 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 in all these hours that they drive. And then you can take the Hyperloop in, in a few minutes, you know, that you're 40 minutes suddenly back in your hometown. That is, of course, uh, yeah, ideal. Mm-hmm. So that the effect of leisure, work and living uh, will, be, uh, will be becoming a bit more one world, as you uh, described uh, before. Um, because I think one, yeah. of the, one of the difficulties, I think, of uh, being an expat is being away from your family. Like, if I could be connected to my yeah. family, that would be yeah. so satisfying. Yeah. But think of students. I mean, I thought that the whole aspect of uh, yeah. the idea of how we thought about um, what we don't call stations, we call them hubs around where the places could be uh, connected, where, where the Hyperloop uh, stops and moves over maybe to another transport system. Mm-hmm. If these these hubs become also knowledge centers where where maybe universities can you know bring in students there, then would it not be so fantastic that as a student, if you are there going to school or be educated, that you then you know you, yeah you can go back then easily maybe two or three times in a week to your home. Mm-hmm. You know, would it not be great? Mm-hmm. And that, that is now a major problem. I know so many students who uh, who move out for sometimes a half year out of their home, and they really uh, hated to uh, not to be connected to to the family, etc. Mm-hmm. I think these things can be all improved. Mm. Yeah, sure. Well, one of the key aspects actually to mention about this technology is the sustainability aspect, um, because as opposed to flying, it's actually energy neutral because the um, Roots themselves can have solar panels running on the top of the tubes, which are generating enough energy to power the system. So this was a kind of key driver for us in designing the stations and also how the how these um, kind of hubs of activity are going to connect into the the rest of the um, urban environment. So that's kind of first and last mile mobility and ensuring that the hyperloop is linking up to public transport, whether that's going to be autonomous vehicles or buses in the future, or bicycles that could all be part of one system. So potentially the Hyperloop could be generating energy empowering not only itself, but also 
the mobility options to get people actually to their front door. So this kind of integration um, and thinking of the hub designs as a switch point where you seamlessly can um, switch from from a Hyperloop vehicle onto a bike or um, an autonomous bus was really crucial for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And we worked on a modular system which can adapt to a range of different urban scenarios. So you could imagine on the edge of a city um, where there would be kind of more space and fewer constraints, the modules uh, could be more numerous and more spread out. And in the centre of the city, where you have a kind of dense urban environment to integrate with, it could be more underground um, and the modules could be kind of taller and more compact. Mm. So we really wanted to create a kind of future-proof system which could adapt to different scenarios um, because we can't tell exactly kind of what's coming, but we want it to be, uh, yeah, fully adaptable. Mm. But, but these stations <coughs> are, as we don't like the common station, but as, as we... Mm, as we know that, that today, in order to support and stimulate stimulate uh, public transport, it is important also to integrate more program around these uh, hubs. Um, so, so yeah, that is actually the key uh, aspect of why we call them also transfer hubs, because it, it, you, you transfer from one uh, infrastructural system, as, as uh, we explained, and and, and you move them to another public uh, transport, but the most important is that it is also connected towards uh, the way how we can densify people coming to these locations around these hubs. Mm. Uh, but the most important, and I wish we could uh, actually show uh, in the podcast uh, images, but we can't. <laughs> Maybe in the future we can. Uh, <laughs> but 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 it would be exciting to uh, describe a bit how these hubs will look like because they they are quite future oriented in in the way how. Um, daylight and um, everything around sustainability you know that these hubs will you know really work as a battery towards the surrounding um, these 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 qualities of the spaces in these hubs will be highly uh, exciting you know they will be celebrating this idea of the future of uh, public transport and and the future of uh, speed and there is also a beautiful history to to this image making of uh, speed if you go back to uh, the earlier times when when stations were designed in the time when the train was just coming up like like you know the work of the futurist and um, you know I mean a whole group of artists and musicians they were fascinated by this change of the culture of traveling and and we really wanted to pick that up in totally new uh, aspects uh, and and by that giving it an also an, a new type of cultural image mm. it's not a purely only a mobility image we wanted to give to this hub but also that it is really becoming a fascinating uh, experience uh, to be in these hubs and that it uh, that it gives you a lot of questions about where you are and why you are there and that it is much more than only a traditional station alone mm. Because we actually have the renderings here in front of us and we have these kind of, is it like a tessellated roof? Yeah, the modular system that we developed um, is illustrated here in these tessellated forms. So you have interlocking mix of uh, both kind of platform area together with public functions. Um, And the platforms we've created are kind of a teardrop shape. 
um, which is very natural um, and very kind of uh, curved and easy to move through. And this allows for two Hyperloop um, vehicles to kind of um, open onto the same space. Um, and this is kind of energy effi- or space efficient, um, but also creates for these natural meeting points or nodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that tessellated form is then reflected in in the roof, uh, which is collecting water um, and also solar energy. So we, we see this building as a kind of battery, which is really a point on, on the system, um, collecting energy and, and um, reusing it also within. Mm-hmm. I think an important point for us was to bring logistics as well as passenger. So we see the Hyperloop route as being quite intensively used. So during rush hour, it would be entirely for passenger travel. Um, But at other times of the day, it could also be bringing super fresh food from uh, regional um, farms into the city centre. And this could create a new kind of system of markets and a new... Um, exchange place within the station so it's not only about mobility but it becomes a kind of public um, hub and and a place of civic activity and a kind of energy point within the city um, so this could it could be food but it could also be anything really that has this kind of need for um, extreme speed so maybe even medical supplies um, people you know who are in need of a transplant which is coming from another city or um, anything that really is dependent on speed and and um, yeah. Nice. No, but that, that that yeah, that's well described, and and I think that it is also good that we here are thinking about a place what feels safe, where people are constantly, if they come late out of uh, the hub uh, or are coming really early into the hub, that they feel that they're surrounded by people. We have learned so much uh, from station making in Holland. Uh, the, we, I, um, we are seen, luckily enough, in the world as one of the best station makers uh, in 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 the world. Um, and of course, this is a new type of uh, type of station, as we, for that reason, call it this uh, transfer hub. But it is um, the fact also that uh, that it then is important to think of uh, ways that you make this not the back of the city, like so many stations became actually uh, over the last years, that, that stations became negative areas where people don't feel safe, where they feel that they are lost when, when there are not enough programs to be found, where you cannot wait uh, properly, uh, where sometimes you stand in the rain and <laughs> mm. you, 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 you know, you, if stations don't do the full work anymore of that where, where or society on demand wants uh, things uh, every minute uh, ready so so yeah it is safe you, you can see each other there are a lot of problems to be found there you could uh, stay if you want uh, for a whole week in in this hub mm. with a lot of green uh, around you and and uh, pleasant programs mm. and one of the things that um that was touched on was uh, logistics and a question that we got in from instagram was how will um how will this transit um, influence the sharing economy? How will the future of transport influence the sharing economy and the circular economy? Yeah, I think that's an exciting opportunity that this creates a network of um, much more connected cities. So one big aspect of the kind of circularity push here in the Netherlands is um, reuse or recycling of materials if it whether it's uh, kind of resources or packaging or 
um, even tools or objects that we use day to day. And I think by reducing the, the time um, that it would take to transport these type of things between one user and the next, you create a much smaller um, and more intensively kind of circular system. Basically, you can you can trade and you can exchange things from one city to the next, and you're really shrinking. Um, the distance that they have to travel. So mm. I think there's huge opportunities for it to contribute towards the, the kind of Dutch objectives for circularity. One of the things that, uh, the general question, I think this relates to um, the Hyperloop as well as the, the uh, cable cars that we were looking at, um, is that technology is very fast, but building is slow. And how do we, do we think that, you know, when these um, infrastructural developments are already up there, will they already be out of date, do you fear? No, no, I think that that's known of uh, any new system you introduce in in. in in the infrastructure world is that if the, the major backbone is right, uh, let's call it uh, that way, then, uh, then then everything can grow and adapt itself towards the, 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 the power of the spine of the system. So so that is that is how we see uh, it uh, operate. And for instance, uh, these hubs, for instance, they, they, they are one thing, but uh, the connection points need to still to be fully designed. and. Uh, need to be tested of where they are and stand and uh, what kind of underground stations will you have maybe in the future and what kind of cross stations will you have are part of the of the clever call it uh, um, system you design uh, for 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 these hubs and um, we have learned a lot by 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 making so many uh, transport uh, hubs uh, over the many years we designed uh, like for instance in Qatar, we uh, introduced uh, their design system whereby over four um, uh, metro lines uh, we had to design uh, 33 stations. We could uh, use there, uh, an, 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 we called it a brand manual of uh, a systematic approach of an adaptable system whereby with, with four types of stations we could adapt these stations to every type of environment you know so to a city environment yeah. and yeah so so I mean it, it, it depends on how you design the system yeah. and, and make it flexible and adaptable as we discussed early on and that's kind of the goal with the Hyperloop hubs then to make them kind of flexible in that same way as Qatar or that it could be placed no not, not because Qatar is another location and maybe uh, when we talk about Europe yeah. but but because in Europe we will have to deal with the density of the cities and mm. but it is not for sure if all the stations can be above ground for instance mm. you know that that is uh, that is what 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 is important but now I'm talking only about the maybe the station but or the, the hubs but the most important is of course to think about the whole network system that is the most important the network system as a spine system maybe you could say is adaptable for the way how it can change uh, uh, over the years uh, with, with adaptability of, of yeah technology mm -hmm. yeah I think like you said the backbone uh, is the most important yeah. one and I think it's, uh, for the Hyperloop project that one is really strong 
Um, I think an interesting comparison uh, is uh, the autonomous vehicles. In China, they will be there for sure because it's more uh, determined by the government. And in the States, uh, it's questionable because uh, they have a lawsuit environment that no one wants to take responsibility. So I think technology, we can, we can achieve so much in such a sh- short amount of time. Uh, but how, as a society, will we adapt to it? But I think with the Hyperloop, it's, um, I think it's really clear what, what, the, what the risks are. Um, but now, yeah, the technology uh, <laughs> needs to be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's so good that in Norwegian, for instance, they, Norwegian, they promote heavily um, electric driving. So they hope that, let's say, in the mid of uh, um, the next coming years of, uh, you know, 2025, I think, uh, or even uh, they hope earlier, is to have as much electric cars as possible in that country. Well, then I'm thinking immediately of, uh, you know, Volvo, for instance. Have you seen the latest car of Volvo? You know, that's amazing. That's a self-driving car. Uh, what could uh, synchronize easily with other cars. And um, you could sleep in that car. You could have meetings in that car. You know, it's, it's you know, giving you a whole totally uh, different lifestyle of uh, using a car than ever before. You could, you, yeah, you... Your holiday home could be your car in a way because you 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 know everything is so comfortable <laughs> in the interior of the car, and think of that also of public transport. I'm sure that we will go to a future of public transport where everything will be so much more comfortable and have far more richness than it is having right now. Why are trains so traditional right now? I mean, if you compare it to, I mean, for instance, air traveling, uh, we might hate you know the the sustainable effect of air traveling. But you at least can sleep in a plane, you know. I mean, it's so difficult in, in, in the way how we move around Europe to sleep in a train. It's not so easy. Mm. Um, but, but services and comfort going together with technology will generate an incredible uh, new type of future of tra- public transport, definitely also mm-hmm. for, for, uh, for the Hyperloop, for instance. Great. Yeah, I think you both point out also this um, tension between public and individual transport that we get so used to kind of on-demand services now and expect this level of comfort and ease and efficiency from public transport also. And I think that having this kind of vision of a Hyperloop or a cable car which is providing these elements that we so desire yeah. but with a sort of public vision um, and the the intention to serve the kind of masses of the population, especially as we know that urban populations are going to grow, I think that's where our role as architects and urban planners really comes in, because maybe no one else can really do that. Actually, can design in that way. But 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 maybe that's a good point. I I I I was referring to also. The political influence of uh, a country like Norwegian, Norwegian, but also I mean, luckily enough here in Holland too, that we that we promote um, sustainability. Um, the belief that if we want to densify in Holland, uh, and we have to densify because we are growing like crazy in Holland, that we have to improve uh, with 30 percent uh, mobility in 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 these environments. So I mean, at this necessary if you densify that you think of other forms of uh, mobile uh, uh, transport and politicians support these ideas 
but it needs to be, uh, of course, with especially with such a new uh, public transport with the Hyperloop, we need to uh, also convince um, the the political world to go forth with it, and that's the most important that that, that, that politicians, because it is public transport, yeah. Yeah. it is it is for the people, and it's almost like border free transport. Yes, yeah. so Europe needs to stand behind this. Yeah, yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's it from our first podcast episode on the future of mobility. Be sure to listen into our second episode discussing the renaissance of the cable car in an urban context and examining this by looking at our plans for the Gothenburg cable car in Sweden and the IBAN cable car that's being developed here in Amsterdam. We got a lot more questions about data and the future role of the architect, so those will have to be saved for uh, another podcast but be sure in the meantime to like and subscribe to uh, UNS Talks on iTunes SoundCloud Podbean or your preferred podcast provider until next time